Welcome to another Care Home Management Magazine podcast. I'm Alan Rostad, the former publisher of Care Home Management. Today, we look at the technicalities of running a care business and ensuring that that business meets all the necessary compliance issues. These days, there seem to be an ever-increasing number of hoops that a care home owner must jump through just to ensure that the operation fulfills all the statutory demands placed upon it. And then, of course, there's the small matter of caring for residents. As usual, this podcast is being sponsored by the care home marketing experts, Smooth Digital, helping to fill care and nursing home beds with private paying residents. I'm delighted to welcome three contributors to our roundtable today who have a very full knowledge of all the compliance issues occupying the thoughts of care homes today. They are Neil Grant, who's a partner at Gordon's Partnership Solicitors, David Beattie, who's the director of Care Ideals, and Connor Shaw, the CEO of Bizimply. So to get us underway and to give our listeners a little bit more information about the three of you, perhaps in about 30 seconds or so, you can introduce yourselves and tell us a little more about your organisation. So Neil, would you like to start us off, please? My name is Neil Grant. Uh, I'm a regulatory lawyer uh, and I work for a firm called Gordon's Partnership uh, Solicitors based uh, in London and uh, Guildford. Uh, and I do a lot of work involving sort of regulatory oversight, uh, and I defend providers uh, that are subject to um, regulatory action. Thank you very much indeed. And uh, David, David Beatty at Care Ideals. Hi, uh, I'm David. I'm the founder and managing director of Care Ideals, um, and we're a business consultancy, and we specialise in providing support, advice, guidance to social care providers across the whole gamut of everything that you would come across running a care business, um, care delivery, uh, supervision, marketing, business development, HR support, policies and procedures, pretty much from A to Z, we provide that level of support for these care providers. Okay, we'll we'll be hearing a bit more about that later as well. And uh, finally, Connor, uh, Connor Shaw at Bizimply. Hi, Alan. Yeah, um, Connor Shaw here. I'm CEO of Bizimply, and we're a specialist workforce management uh, software provider. So our our belief is that every shift should run like clockwork. And to be honest with you, in in care and other services sectors, if you don't have the right people in the right place at the right time with the right skills, you're not going to be able to do your job very efficiently and be compliant with the various uh, requirements. So that's really what we do. Sounds very straightforward. We'll hear more about that in due course uh, as well. That's great. Okay, well, thank you to all three of you for uh, wanting to take part in this podcast. Let's begin. We're looking at compliance. So let's begin really with discussing what we're talking about, compliance. How do we define uh, compliance? And I think probably the best way to start is with you, Neil, as a lawyer. How can you define compliance? Well, yes, that's a a big question. Um, And as a lawyer, um, I take compliance to mean complying with legal requirements. And uh, accountability in relation to compliance lies with the the legal person carrying on the, the particular business. So that could be an individual proprietor, it could be a partnership, it could be an organisation. Uh, and obviously there are then individuals within organisations that, um, that, that, that you know, can be accountable as well, directors being the obvious example. 
But uh, but often external agencies, in my experience, they try to enforce guidance rather than legal requirements. So it's always important to sort of look to see what actually um, is required in terms of compliance, because any regulatory action has to be based on non-compliance with a, a legal requirement. It can't just be based on guidance. Uh, and, and the scope of compliance is very broad indeed. I mean, we live in a, a heavily regulated society, as we all know, particularly in uh, health and social care. Um, and there are also all the agreements that go with running businesses, most notably, obviously, agreements with your staff. There are some legal requirements, I suppose, that are quite straightforward and clear. So the obvious one being that if you want to run a, a care home, you've got to have a, a registration. So that's obviously a straightforward uh, example. Or notifying CQC of a particular issue, such as the, the death of a resident in a care home. Some are less clear. Um, and that's typically where regulations are very broad. Uh, and that actually is uh, a problem with a lot of legislation uh, affecting health and social care. And an example there would be having sufficient staff on duty. Um, I'm old enough to remember when conditions of registration applied um, as far as uh, staffing levels uh, in nursing homes and residential care homes. That's not the case anymore. So it can be quite impressionistic, really, in terms of what uh, what is required under regulation. Uh, and also... Where regulations are broad in nature, then we one has to turn to guidance uh, to obviously try to interpret the regulation and form a view about whether there might uh, be a breach of a statutory requirement. I come across many cases where, in actual fact, um, the argument I put back to the external agency, could be a regulator, it could be a commissioner, is that we don't agree with their sort of view, their analysis uh, about um, alleged breach, non-compliance. And there's always going to be a subjective element um, in judging whether a service is compliant or not. And I suppose really that that's just reveals the inconsistency that bedevils, I think, the sector, particularly in terms of regulation. So those are just a few sort of points I'd like to raise, you know, in broad terms about compliance. No, that's, that's interesting. And uh, there do seem to be an awful lot of grey areas because, I mean, we, obviously we talk about CQC as being the main player in all this. There are others, and we'll talk about those in due course. But when you describe, you know, strong evidence, weak evidence, uh, that is really then down to a judgment, if it comes to it, for the courts, is it, I suppose? Well, I suppose ultimately, <clears throat> yes, you, you end up in a court or tribunal. Um, you know, uh, you, you want to avoid that, of course, uh, for obvious reasons, given the sort of management time and expense that goes with it. But yes, I mean, there is strong evidence and there's weak evidence. Obviously, to start with, there's factual evidence, uh, but there's also then opinion evidence um, that can be sort of put forward by sort of external agencies. And I always say that the best evidence really is objective evidence. So if you've got the existence of an accurate and clear record, I mean, that could be an employment record, it could be a maintenance record in relation to a particular service, or if there's evidence of a piece of equipment being in place, say, where there's an allegation that it wasn't there on inspection. If you say, well, no, there was a defibrillator, um, you know, within the clinic, uh, and we've got objective evidence to sort of prove that. Also, um, obviously, with inspection and, and people coming in from local authorities, the health and safety executive uh, or CQC, direct evidence is obviously a strong, uh, a strong base of evidence. <clears throat> but even there, you've got to be careful because you've got to contextualise it and you've got to analyse it uh, you know, appropriately. Weak evidence, well, I mean, that's a whole range of things, but it can include notes that are not legible or dated or signed. Uh, and obviously, as a lawyer, I come across some cases where there's a complete absence of evidence. So, um, you know, records haven't been kept or indeed, you know, cannot be located in some cases. 
And also with evidence, I think that, that there may be certain issues that can be identified on the basis of one particular piece of evidence. But very often, um, third parties coming in have to do what is called triangulating or corroborating evidence from a variety of sources to make a judgment about compliance. Um, so that could be talking to people, it could be observing care, it could be tracking the, the pathway of care and treatment for individuals. And also, of course, looking at documentation, looking at records, uh, and increasingly those are digital records. Um, and, uh, and I think these days, significantly, really, external agencies expect there to be systems and processes in place with care businesses. I mean, the idea of sort of mum and pop care homes, where it could all be done in a very sort of easygoing, sort of friendly way. I mean, very often they actually produce great outcomes for, for residents, but many of them don't really sort of survive scrutiny these days, uh, because all of that needs to be evidence in terms of governance. So, uh, and of course, the final point I'd want to sort of make is that there's the growing awareness in social care of the importance of technology as a tool for driving quality and, and also sort of evidencing assurance and compliance. So, so those are a few points there, I think, about evidence, uh, Alan. Yeah, no, thank you very much. We'll come on to talk about uh, the dangers of, of non-compliance in, in, in a few moments' time. But let me bring the others in as well. David, I know that we've talked a large part here about CQC. Your particular business and your particular interests go very much wider than just CQC, don't they? Very much so. Um, you know, I, I approach this from the perspective of somebody who's run and managed many different types of care businesses, be that learning disability services, residential care homes, mental health hospitals, etc. And for me, compliance isn't just about CQC. Um, you know, there's compliance with health and safety, with fire, with the fire inspector, and so on. But there's also elements of a care business in which you need to be compliant, even if you're not being rated or inspected in these areas as being compliant. And despite the fact that you're not necessarily being rated, it can still have a dramatic impact on, on how the care business functions. So, for example, com marketing compliance, business development compliance, safe recruitment practices, um, is your culture compliant with what would be regarded as positive culture? GDPR compliant, effective care delivery, effective risk management, and, and so on. And I guess probably about four years ago, I started looking at whole care businesses, not just CQC compliance. And having worked with dozens of smaller care providers, I'd noted that they all pretty much did the same thing when it came to HR support policies, care consultants, marketing, et cetera. And many of them outsource the policies to one company, the compliance checks to another company, the HR support to somebody else. Um, and many of them did little or nothing when it came to marketing and business development, even though the market is becoming more and more competitive. And I guess the other issue with this was some of the time, the people, for example, that they were using for HR support or marketing in particular, didn't come from a care background. And these companies don't have any care experience. So for me, there were two main issues with this. Some of the advice that I saw given wasn't helpful. Um, in a couple of cases, it wasn't correct. And how can companies who don't have experience in care provide consistent and, and effective advice to care companies? Yes, it's an important issue, isn't it? That, that making sure that the, 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 uh, the advice that you're taking 
is is of the best sort and knowing that it's of uh, of the best sort as well. Let, let me bring in Connor here just for a moment because um, Neil earlier on mentioned the importance of record keeping. I'm sure, Connor, that's something that you would uh, wholeheartedly support, wouldn't you? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, Alan. Um, I mean, it, it's kind of interesting. At the moment, I think one of the what some of the biggest issues that are facing the sector is obviously vacancy rates. Um, and, and we focus purely on the staff side of uh, of the business. And with 10% vacancy rates, that puts the operators at a huge risk. Um, I mean, if if you have if you're short staffed in a restaurant, it means somebody doesn't get their dinner. If you're short staffed in a care home, that can have pretty disastrous consequences. And and not even just at a compliance level. This is care. You know, if we we don't want our residents um, or or our patients to be in any way put in any danger. So staff staff levels, I think, is is probably the single biggest issue facing the sector at the moment. Um, And and trying to get those staff levels, resident ratios right to the regulations and also to the to the proper duty of care, I think, is a, is a particularly important thing. Um, and, and there are costs associated because at the moment, that 10% vacancy rate is being covered by agency covered cover, which is expensive, and then that drives up costs and also doesn't necessarily offer that consistency of care that most operators would uh, would would like to believe that they can offer to their uh, to their residents. But also, you've got a cost of overtime because very, invariably extra shifts cost more for an individual. And then you've got a, a potential cost of staff burnout um, and people leaving the sector. And I think we've seen a lot of that. So so actually, when you, when you think about this whole compliance thing, I think we have to think about quality and that care consistency and quality, which, which will therefore become compliant. And I think Neil is, is so right about the requirement for objective evidence. In in our experience, a potential compliance, a non-compliant case can be very quickly resolved by objective proof. Yes, we did have enough people working that particular time, so our staffing levels were correct. Yes, we had the right people with the right skills working at that particular moment in time. Yes, here are the records of the training that the, these individuals had, or here is their right to work, or here is here is our evidence to show that the, the personal information of our employees is only seen by people who need to see see it and and i think just take that headache away from that manager and that care home director so that they can actually just get on with doing their job which is making sure that they offer the best care possible to their uh, to their residents neil do you find that that the care homes when you have to uh, be called in to to help them uh, dealing perhaps with non compliance is that penny now beginning to drop better about record keeping well it's long been a problem within the um, the sector um, and it's something, obviously, that uh, external agencies tend to sort of focus on. They gravitate to the records when they come in. Uh, they feel comfortable looking at records. Um, yes, I mean, I think um, there, there is a sort of realisation that, obviously, it's, it's fundamental to have accurate, contemporaneous, uh, properly stored records um, at, at all times um, to evidence, obviously, the outcomes that are being achieved for sort of individuals um, and, uh, and obviously demonstrating com- sort of compliance through, um, through documentation is important as well. So, um, 
so yes, I think um, there has been that sort of step change, and I think sort of um, technology is sort of at the forefront of all of that. And hopefully, it'll make it a lot easier for sort of um, busy managers and, and, and carers and team leaders and so on, you know, to actually sort of do the essential care delivery, which is obviously the fundamental. Um, and hopefully documentation, will, you know, recording, as it were, will be a much easier process for them uh, and will actually facilitate what they're doing. And for any managers who may be a little wishy-washy about compliance, let's put it that way, they're not always on top of everything. What, in your view, are the key risks out there for them? Well, there are a multitude. Apart from just risk. going out of business, I suppose. Well, yes. I mean, I mean, obviously, the fundamental thing, and I think um, Connor's obviously sort of highlighted the duty of care, because fundamentally it comes down to making sure that uh, the right care is delivered to the individuals in the service uh, in, in, in their own sort of interests. Yes, I mean, there are risks to the business in terms of registration or having, you know, having registration removed or restrictions placed on the registration. Obviously, there's the issue of ratings as well, of course, uh, which are, are linked to to compliance issues. Uh, we're all sort of worried, aren't we, about sort of getting an inadequate or requires improvement rating. So, um, and there's also then sort of, I think, the risk of criminal investigation, prosecution in certain cases involving individuals, which obviously uh, gets a lot of currency in the press. Um, and over and above that, there are sort of risks of safeguarding investigations, contractual disputes, I suppose, with local authorities and clinical commissioning groups, and then we come back to this issue of employment disputes as well, potentially, between um, employees and, and, and the employer. So all of that really sort of can feed into, uh, you know, sort of a, a problem culture within a service, uh, uh, which obviously one would want to avoid. Indeed, I'm sure. Well, we'll come on to some of those uh, issues as well, because let's move on to uh, to David, because David, uh, you're following on from what Neil had to say, you're, you're, uh, you've come up with an idea of being this one-stop shop. Now, if I was running a, a small care home uh, and I'd need help, I might say, oh, right, there's that company that does HR. They're in the town. I could call them up. Now, who am I going to get to look after the financial? Oh, yes, I know there's, a, there's quite a good accountant over there. I'm sure that's the way a lot of care home owners have thought in the past, why doesn't that really work? What what can you do that can make it very much more coordinated? Um, I, I think the key strength of this one-stop shop or complete care business solution um, is that we're care experts, but we're business consultants who specialize in care. So our foundation is care, but then we're providing support in all of the different areas, whether that's HR support or policies or safeguarding issues or marketing, social media, whatever it is. So the fundamental base needs to be care, but then we're helping you to run the business more effectively. And it's really important, I think, for people to understand. There's almost a a stigma attached to the word business in the care sector. Um, But first and foremost, all of these independently run businesses, they are businesses. They're obviously care providers, and the care side of things is obviously critically important. Um, But they're care businesses, and they need to run as care businesses. And if they're effective, well-run, efficient care businesses, that will dictate to everything being done well, including the care delivery. The care delivery will improve because the care business is run effectively and efficiently and is making good profit. When I did my, you know, when I was speaking to earlier, and I was talking about you, you have different care providers who go to different companies for different types of support. So they go to one company for HR support and they go to another company for 
policies and another company for compliance. It's all quite disjointed. Um, whereas what we now do is we provide all of that support, whether it's commercially expedient HR, marketing, business development, care delivery, quality assurance, culture, recruitment in some cases, um, you come to us and we deal with all of that for you. So you don't have to phone six or seven different companies, some of whom aren't care specialists. You phone us and we deal with all of those issues for you. That's a, very, that's a very big portfolio, isn't it? Can you, can you promise to, that, that that's the way to go down that route? Because th- there'll be some organisations out there who are thinking, well, he can't know everything about HR, he can't know everything about this and that, even though, yes, the bedrock is care. Well, I guess that's part of our strength, that we can do this. And I've been doing this since probably the middle of 2018 um, and refining it and improving it you know, over the last four years. But it can be done. And there obviously are some issues that we might not be able to, you know, we're not experts in. So a specific issue around a particular medication or where we need particular legal advice. But then we have partner companies to help with those types of things. But in terms of day-to-day operations, anything that a a manager or an owner might deal with day-to-day, we can deal with all of that for, you know, for our clients and for the care providers. We've been doing it for the last four years. And the situation that they had previously was they were going to all different companies, some of whom weren't care specialists, to get the same type of advice that we provide. But some of those companies weren't care specialists. And, you know, like I, like I said earlier, some of the advice wasn't always right. Some of the advice wasn't that effective. And it's like, for example, you approach a social media company to help you with social media. But that social media knows nothing. That's where that social media company doesn't know anything about care. Or you've got an HR uh, consultancy service that you go to that doesn't understand the nuances of what being a social care provider is about. And they're providing a very different type of HR support. Whereas we've been there and done it. And my background, you know, when I was running the large mental health hospitals, we were dealing with all of those things day in and day out. That was the structure that we had and that was the structure that we operated in. And it's a very effective structure. And it gets you to focus on the whole instead of, let's say, just the care side of things. It's about making the whole function efficiently and effectively. Yes, I can understand that. And David, that, that I suppose resounds somewhat with you, with what you do, although perhaps not in, in quite such a wide area, but you concentrate very much on the staffing area. Do you find, uh, going back to what uh, David just said there, he mentioned the word stigma when he first came, came into being. Was that anything that you found when you were creating Bizimply? Yeah, I mean, I think that I, I want to pick up something there that, um, that, that David alluded to um, and yourself did. You talked about the the wishy washy record keeping, or I think that was the word. You I think used. I'm afraid it was. Yes. Yeah. No, that's fine. No, but it's fine actually because I think I think business is is moving more to actually understanding the value of of, of sort of excellence and discipline, and and I I'd be a great believer that all of this starts and ends somewhat with the people on the front line, and and care delivery excellence will follow and will only follow a culture of excellence across the organization. And that culture of excellence has to start from the top and be led from the top. So if you have a wishy-washy compliance 
regime in any way or a oh let's stretch this to the very um very limits that starts to feed itself back into many of the other areas that that david has talked about that 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 he can encompass in his all-in-one consulting services so i so i think that would be certainly something that 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 we would see and that what we have seen that the sorts of organizations that have adopted um adopted our technology actually do have that at their core that that desire to be the best and that and that can manifest itself in a, in a variety of different ways um, from from that bad word and I don't think it's that bad a word actually business from the business of care which is to make sure that you have got your uh, productivity right because you know it is a business and it does need to at least break even and pay people a fair salary and a fair wage for what they do. Um, but then also control to make sure that particularly any operators that may have multiple sites to make sure that they actually can understand and view and see and react very quickly to any potential risk elements that may appear. For instance, We've noticed that um, Care Home A is a little short staff today because we've had a bit of a COVID outbreak and we've three staff members who have called in sick. Great. So what we need to do immediately from a control perspective at head office is redeploy people possibly and having that visibility and not people chasing around uh, with mobile phones and so on to be trying to get get hold of people. You just want to be able to have that control. And then, and then that also can also help with the whole staffing areas. You look at staff engagement and, and staff nowadays, and, and we've seen this from, from the, the statistics that people want to get much more visibility of when their shifts are. They want to get much more future visibility. They want to make sure that they can book holidays and make sure that those holidays, will they will be able to take them and, and so on. So that, that ability to kind of plan ahead, which is a business decision born out of the desire to offer the best possible excellence of care. As you get further into that, the whole thing starts becoming a positive virtuous circle uh, of improvement. And that improvement will drive the culture. It'll become a better place to work. It'll become a nicer place to work because I'm not overstressed. I'm not overstaffed. I'm not overworked and and so on. And, And that I think is where some of the technology and that visibility of the data to combine with the policies, the procedures, the duty of compliance, I suppose, that David and Neil talk about. And so you, you do pull it into a holistic a holistic overall system of, of operation. And that, I think, is, is the system of operation that has to be nowadays. It doesn't have to be supported by technology, but it's so much easier when it is supported by technology. And get the managers out there in the front lines, not filling out in a wishy-washy way some sort of, some sort of records and so on that the likes of Neil in, in three months' time comes back to haunt you. You know, and I, and I think that discipline of culture is what's really required across the whole industry. Um, and we, and we, we play our small part in it. We're not, we're not going to solve all of the issues. We, we would never even claim to do that because I don't think 
all the issues can necessarily be solved. And there's so many moving parts in this, but it's culture and culture of excellence will drive excellence care, excellence of care. I'm sure it will. And, and Neil, I'm just interested because both David and Connor provide outside services, but with a deep knowledge of, of care. Do you come across um, care homes where they've uh, used the services of somebody who, who may have a very good HR background, but don't understand care very well? Is that something you ever have to step in and, and try and sort out for clients? Yeah, I mean, we, um, we're a full, full service firm. So we sort of cover off obviously commercial employment property, as well as sort of regulatory. So, uh, but we are advisors, uh, we're not operators, but uh, we do often see that sort of disconnect, I think, between sort of um, um, owner operators and, and uh, staff on the ground, as it were, in terms of their skill set and their abilities. Um, and obviously, that's where the likes of um, David and Connor can sort of make a, a sort of real difference. I mean, people don't phone me up with good news stories, Alan, very often. So uh, that might that probably won't surprise you very much. Um, so we're sort of normally trying to overcome a sort of problem, and it's in the non-compliance domain. But we're very, very focused on trying to sort of get our sort of clients through the the problems and sort of moving them through the the gears, as it were, so that they can they can go beyond just pure compliance, which is obviously sort of in one sense, um, meeting the minimum to, to, to becoming outstanding, really, and, and working ahead of the, the, the regulations. But uh, at the same time, obviously, sort of having um, a humility uh, to, to, to realise, obviously, that things can quickly go wrong in services and is how you respond to them, react to them. But the final point I wanted to say is that, you know, in the cases that we deal with, particularly where there's a a heavy regulatory uh, intervention, we would always be using the likes of uh, David as a consultancy uh, and Connor really in terms of that technical support um, to to really sort of raise the game to sort of demonstrate that um, that standards are improving uh, in the services uh, of our clients. Well, it's good to hear if standards are improving because heaven knows there's been uh, two years or more uh, of real mayhem in care homes and it's been very, very hard uh, to keep standards as, as high as they should be. Coming back to you, David, when you when you go and see a prospective client about offering a one-stop shop, do they, do they say to you, how do I then untangle myself from this array of, or even, a, then I said, a plethora of outside help that they've been using up to now. How, how does this all shake up into a seamless service that you can then offer? On a couple of occasions, they've decided to run the two services side by side. Um, so there's, there is a particular client who I, I won't mention, um, but they weren't happy with one of the elements that they were receiving, but they couldn't get out of the contract. Um, so they said, well, you know, the co- that contract will run for another nine months or something, and we'll just carry on paying that. Um, but we're going to, you know, sign up to your complete care business solution, your one-stop shop, because what you're providing across the board, but in that area as well, is a lot more what we need. And on, on occasions, I, I, in effect, bought out a contract um, on behalf of a client and then they've signed up to, you know, my service. Um, so there are ways around this if they are, for example, tied into a contract. But a lot of the time they aren't. It, it's generally just in one or two specific areas. So making that change isn't perhaps as painful as it needs to be or could have no, been. No, no, there, there's ways to do it, you know, completely legal, ethical ways to do it. You know, I, I say this, I don't want to do Neil out of work at all, um, but we come at this from the point of a care provider 
unless something really bizarre and extreme happens, the care provider shouldn't ever get to the point where they need to go to Neil for help, um, ideally. Um, and we want to help care providers get better, provide value to the entire care business to help that business progress and develop in every area, whether it's care delivery, operations, profitability, that's what we're there to do. So it's not about crisis management. It's about helping decent and good providers get better on an ongoing basis. Thank you for that, David. Just one question before we move on to Connor's subject. One question I wanted to put, put back to Neil uh, about CQC these days and how things may have changed over the last year or two and the pandemic and all the influences that that has had. CQC, we're trying to get a bit cosier towards care homes. It now seems as if there's a bit more distance being established and they're obviously not our, our best friends in that way. What do you see uh, lately in the last few months of the attitude that CQC are displaying? Are, 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 there, are they getting tougher? I think they are. I mean, we're, we're noticing a, a dramatic increase in the amount of enforcement activity that's going on. Uh, on the part of CQC. Um, and I think they have a sort of difficult job, really, because on the one hand, they, uh, they, they, they want to be supportive of the sector, but they have a set of regulations that they have to, uh, to judge uh, in terms of compliance. And, and if not, they need to, to take action um, to protect individuals within care services. Obviously, that's their sort of uh, raison d'etre. So uh, they were never, ever going to be a sort of cosy advisory improvement agency. Uh, that was never going to be the case. And um, and I always say to sort of clients, you know, CQC are never your friend. And indeed, they, they shouldn't be your friend. They are sort of an independent, arm's length um, regulator. They're, they're not a consultancy agency either. You know, uh, you, know you, you pay your fees every year. It's not, a, it's not a consultancy. They've got real teeth and they are using those teeth a lot more. One, one area that I've noticed a huge increase actually in is in relation to criminal investigations and uh, prosecutions. So for many years, regulators, although they had the powers to uh, investigate um, matters and bring prosecutions, never did so. But I think they have raised their game in that area, and quite a number of uh, prosecutions are being brought. And indeed, in some cases, we're looking at sort of million-pound fines uh, in relation to larger providers. So uh, they've taken over uh, a lot of the the role of the uh, health and safety executive uh, in relation to health and safety matters relating to service users. So, um, so yeah, so it's uh, it, it needs to be an open, um, cooperative relationship. But as I say, they've got their um, functions and objectives, and uh, you know, uh, you always need to remind yourself of that position. You're listening to the Care Home Management Magazine podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Smooth Digital. My name is Toby Ali Osman. I'm the founder of Smooth Digital, the UK's leading care sector marketing agency. We support care home operators with their marketing so they can reach more self-paying families searching for care and fill their beds. We work with providers to create and implement a robust digital marketing strategy to modernize their marketing, increase inbound leads, build back their occupancy and future-proof their business. Head over to Google and type in Smooth Digital to book a free discovery call and find out if there's any way we can help you.
Well, let's move on to what Connor had uh, particularly wanted to talk about. When you go and see a prospective new client and you can offer the services that you can offer, are, are they really ready and able to take it all on board or are they a bit suspicious and still like their pens and paper? I think, to be honest with you, the majority of people now are embracing technology. I, I think we're kind of particularly, and, and this is going to sound particularly the people in the millennial and below millennial. They they've brought up they've been brought up with technology, and to a certain extent, there's an expectation that technology can help in in all aspects of our lives. Um, and and so I, I don't think we get that very that often. We get a reluctance to embrace the technology. What we do get is a fear of the change. Um, They understand they need to make the change, but they're they're sort of fearful of that change. And I think some of the services that like the likes of David offer actually helps that transition um, because we're a technology provider, but actually the best, sometimes the best advice on how to make the most out of that within your particular context needs to be delivered actually by a a, a third party uh, consultant like like David or a very strong operations director within within the overall sector. And that's that they're the they're the clients that we say this is going to work and it's going to work really really well for this particular individual. You know the the main thing about this vacancy rate is ultimately this problem needs to be solved and it will be solved. It'll either be solved by the fact that actually we will get we will get better utilization of existing staff or there will be some sort of a free up in the market uh, for whatever reason and however that that uh, that manifests itself, whether it's more people come into the market or the demand drops. I think it'll probably be more the uh, former of that. So, so what we look at, you need better understanding of where and when the vacancies are going to arise as well. And that's something that, again, that view of the data that the technology provides uh, can, can start to see that. So you can get ahead of yourself, so you can hire ahead, um, and you can make sure that you're also looking at your at-risk individuals to say, okay, that person may be at risk of burnout or moving on how do i how how do i maybe address that before so that you get ahead of yourself rather than as as somebody said earlier crisis management we've got to get beyond crisis management and i think that's something that that we'd like to think that we help with and do you have to show to care homeowners that your technology is compliant or is it simply that your technology can help them become compliant in the various areas that you offer yeah, no, we we do, we don't we don't guarantee compliance because actually all, all we are if you put rubbish into our system you'll get rubbish out. So <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, and that's the same to be honest with you with any tech. Um, and and as I say, as I often say, and I use the analogy that um, BMW BMW will produce a car that can do two hundred miles an hour on the M1. If you do two hundred miles an hour on the M1, you can't blame BMW because they provided you with something that can do it. Um, they but what they do provide you is with the speedometer that says you know you're now doing more than seventy miles an hour. So <laughs> you know what I mean, and and I think that's yeah. that's certainly something that you get a lot of people. Well, will you guarantee me this? No, I can't guarantee you because you know it. This is what we'll do is we will provide you with a a, a service and an ability to to understand it, so that actually if somebody is being uncompliant. It's because they're breaking a rule, whether that's a rule that you have 
yourself or whether it's a rule imposed from somebody else. But we do have we do have little flags like warnings, like, for instance, if somebody has been is being rostered for a shift uh, that's outside of their working hours or their contract, or if somebody has been rostered for a shift that's too soon after the end of their prior shift, um, it, it, it can flag that. But again, you know, sometimes people still want to do it and you, we, we're not there to police. Um, a little bit like Neil said, I said, CQC's job is to be the police. We're there to provide the records to keep the police happy. Um, and I think that's, that's really where it works. One thing I'd, I'd put to all three of you now, actually, and starting with you, Connor, is that since the pandemic, we've seen signs that people are much more keen to want to have care at home rather than go into care homes. Is, is that affecting what you say and what you have to do in the course of your everyday job? Yeah, I mean, our, 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 our product is probably optimised for residential location-based care. There are, other, there are other products that do more of your your sort of um, at-home care, which can which can record when people arrive and what time a carer comes and, and that kind of stuff. We're, we're not into that. I think there is a balance that that is happening in the marketplace. I'm sure David, as a, as a care expert, will have will have probably a much stronger opinion on that. Indeed, David, I was going to ask you, because you, you have a foot in both camps there with uh, care at home and care homes. What's your recent experience? There, there's definitely a move towards more home care but i think the market for care homes is still very strong but i think that's moved to home care that's across the country and i think you know looking at because I, I do follow like what what happens in in america with home care etc and it seems to have taken place there as well um so there is definitely this move more towards home care i think people feel a bit more comfortable i think they're a bit they, they feel safer um, because they're not in 20 or 30 or 50 other people. But I think the market for care homes is still very strong. And I, and I don't think that's ever going to go away. Well, that's encouraging. How about you, Neil? Do you have uh, clients coming to you saying, oh, woe is me, I can't fill my beds, they're all wanting to be cared for at home these days? Well, obviously, um, there's been a sort of major problem in terms of occupancy through the, the pandemic, although I think uh, that's now sort of in the process of changing. I mean, obviously, one of the questions I always ask is, you know, what, what's the, uh, the financial strength of the particular business uh, that you've got? What are, what are your occupancy rates and so on? We're, we're not sort of marketeers. Uh, you know, we don't sort of develop businesses in that sense. Obviously, you know, that's something that David would do as, a, as a, uh, an offer, as it were, to the, the, the care sector. So, um, but no, I mean, obviously, we're seeing that sort of move towards sort of care at home. Obviously, we're acting for a lot more sort of supported living providers. Um, than we were perhaps a few years ago. Um, and that's particularly the case in the LD and autism sectors where there really has been a freeze on care home expansion because of um, CQC's position really on the size and location of, of those types of services. But um, but no, we're sort of seeing, uh, yeah, we're, we're acting increasingly uh, for, for, for more domiciliary care providers and supported living providers. We're noticing that trend, yes. That's interesting. Let me put a final point then to all three of you, because um, we've been through, obviously, two or three years of, of real tough times for the care home sector for most obvious of reasons. With the next two or three years ahead, do you foresee the, the old object of compliance? Is that going to get stronger and tighter as a result of the pandemic that we've been through? Or could there be some slight loosening to make life a little bit easier for care homes to get back on their feet again? How about you, Connor, on that? 
I'm not sure we've seen any any, any industry that compliance has eased in recent years. Um, I think what becomes easier is an understanding of uh, of the core spirit behind what the compliance is. I mean, I mean, like the thing we have to keep remembering here when we talk about compliance is why are we being asked to comply to these regulations? It's usually because there are some rogue operators out there who have done things that unfortunately have resulted in some sort of a negative experience for an individual, whether that individual be a staff member or whether that individual is a, a is a particular resident. So I think we just need to make it easier to ensure that rogue, rogue operators don't get the space to operate so that the excellent part of the of the services can flourish and and i think we have to keep remembering that and so i'm I'm not necessarily seeing that i think compliance requirements will reduce but i do think that we will get a better understanding as to how to do them so that the the administrative role of ensuring your compliance will become easier. Yeah, I think I understand that. How, how about you, David? Would you concur with Connor on that one? Very much so, yes. Um, I can't see that being compliant um, or trying to be compliant is going to get easier, but I think it's then down to individual providers um, and how the care businesses operate to make sure that they up their game to ensure that they can achieve compliance or better than compliance. So finally, Neil, from what David and Connor were saying there, uh, I'm guessing there's still going to be plenty of work for you in the years ahead. Well, I, I, I would hope so. <laughs> uh, as, a, as a practicing lawyer, I'm not not uh, just at the point of retirement. But um, but no, the reality is that I mean I've been in the uh, the game 30 years, so uh, and you see the pendulum swinging back and forth. But uh, the, the general sort of direction is uh, uh, in terms of ever sort of tighter regulation, really. I mean, the, the final point I wanted to sort of get across was that obviously we are in a period of change. Uh, both in relation to adult social care funding, uh, changes coming in from October next year. Uh, we've got changes to deprivation of liberty safeguards. Um, when that will come in remains to be seen, but again, probably in the next year or so. But also CQC is, you know, is, is changing the way in which it intends to regulate uh, and, and really sort of focusing on sort of hopefully sort of real-time regulation and, and using technology um, in a way where, the assurance that it can give the public really is much more sort of contemporary up to date rather than this idea of sort of coming in perhaps once every two or three years to do a, a site-based inspection, which of course is important. But, you know, what we want to do is make sure that we've actually got sort of live data uh, and that's there for the benefit um, of not only public protection, but also public assurance as well. Well, Neil, David, Connor, thank you all very much indeed. I'm afraid that's all we have time for. Today, my thanks go to Neil Grant, partner at Gordon's Partnership Solicitors, David Beatty, the director of Care Ideals, and Connor Shaw, CEO of Bizimply, for taking part and giving us such a thorough rundown of what compliance really means and how care homeowners ensure they are fully compliant. You've been listening to the Care Home Management Magazine Compliance Podcast, sponsored by Smooth Digital, helping fill care and nursing home beds with private paying residents. I hope you've enjoyed the roundtable discussion today. We have more podcasts lined up for you in the weeks ahead. So I hope you'll join us then. And it's goodbye for now.